Dave, are you rolling, bud? All right, well, let's do this thing. This is GearBuds Podcast, episode 101. I had to change that. I almost, I almost said 100 again because I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, and here we are. We're super excited. I'm Henry. We've got Dave on the phone. Hey. And I am just super stoked because we've been trying to, to get this sorted out for a little bit here, and we finally have him here for you, joining us all the way from Denmark, Mr. Tor Monson. Thank you so much for Welcome. being with us, man. Thanks so much for inviting me to do this. I'm a, I'm a big podcast fan in, in general, so it's an honor to, to be part of this. Oh, Great. thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on. I, for those who don't recognize this just ultimately distinctive voice, in my opinion, uh, Tor currently uh, is one of the absolute gurus over at Universal Audio. I'm sure you also know him from his work for years with TC Electronic and just being just one of those people that you see demoing stuff on the internet forever and doing an amazing job at it. Also, and I, definitely another thing that I want to talk about um, in, uh, as we get into this is an amazing guitar player in the band World War Five as well. So oh, a lot yeah. of stuff oh, that thanks, we got to talk about here. <laughs> Hell yeah! I um I, as a as a metal fan myself, there are some things I want to get into there. So so much to talk about. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um. Oh, also, I just want to before we before we get too far in, I just want to call out the fact that um one of my sort of running things throughout this show is that as a tall person, anytime anybody is taller than me on the <laughs> show, I ask them to join my band Tall Boys. So consider this your <laughs> official awesome. invitation I, I to would, join Tall Boys. I would I would love to do that. Generally, you know, when, whenever I play in a band, you know. I'm always told to like, oh, can you, you know, if, especially if the singer has sort of an ego, if you come up to me, can you kind of <laughs> bend in the knees a little bit so you don't, I don't look like, a, you know, a hobbit or something next to you? So, oh my yeah. God. Henry, this Get guy's taller a, than a you? Deep, a deep rock me? pose. Yeah. How tall are you? I mean, I guess we, we might have to do a little conversion here. Oh. I don't know the whole centimeter thing. I'm, I, I think I'm, I think in, in feet and inches, I think I'm six foot six. So that's, yeah, wow. that sounds right. All right. Yes, I'm 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 close to six four. So it's that the, the point of this band is that I want to be the shortest person in the band. Because <laughs> I've always been the tallest person in the I band. I am not invited into tall boys. I'm five no. five nine on a good day. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's with my back straight and nice shoes on. So uh, yeah, that's not happening anytime soon. All right, you heard it here, folks. Tours in. So wow. uh great great start to the show. In. I frankly I kind of want to just quit there because it's such a great start. <laughs> We've got some other stuff that we do every week, so let's just dive in. This is a symphony of corrections. Here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to this and being here with us. Uh, it means everything to us, and uh, thank you just also for all the folks reaching out and being awesome and being nice to us lately. Follow us on Instagram at Gearbuds Podcast and Facebook. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple and all that shit. I've got a um, couple things for touch and tips with Dave here. Uh, actually, one of them is is a touch and tip slash free stuff. Mm. Um, first one, here's a little tip for you. I don't know if you know this or not, folks, but I might blow some people's minds here. For those of you that have Gmail, which is presumably like 90% of the people listening to this, did you know that dots, like periods, in email addresses in, for Gmail do fuck all? They, they literally do nothing. Like oh. if you're, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you what my personal email address is. But how about this? If you want to email gearbudspodcast at gmail.com, right. you could put a period in between every single letter in Gearbuds Podcast and it would still come right to no us. No shit. Wow. I yeah. did not know that. I'd, so like yep. if somebody was like, oh, is there a period between the, you know, your first name and your last name? You're like, doesn't matter. Doesn't do a goddamn thing. Wow. I, you just yep. blew my mind. I'm not ready for that this early in the day. 
I know it's I get yeah that's funny we we are we are about seven or whatever eight hours apart right now so this is a little morning podcast for us but it's a nice evening for tour here um, but that's been touching tips with Dave oh actually you know what really quick also here's another one uh, I discovered this free plugin for Mac OS recently called Rectangle uh, so those of you may know that I I worked for Microsoft for a while and there are some things that I still actually really miss about Windows and one of them is the way that you can snap Windows to the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that, like you know, like I can have Ableton off to the side, and then the mixer window for console off to the side, and then it'll just like cleanly snap those things. Well, mm-hmm. Windows or Mac OS doesn't really have anything super right. clean to do that. There are some things. Anyways, I found this plugin. It's called Rectangle. I'll put it on the site. You download it, and you can just snap stuff to your screen in Mac OS, and it's fucking great. I I can't believe I lived so long without it. That's beautiful. I love that. So oh that wait, is both I have touch and tips. I actually have a, t- a touch and tip too that you. Ooh, what uh, do you got? You helped me out earlier this week. I. You know, I was just messing around in the bedroom doing the old bedroom recording, and um, I didn't know that um, actually when you're recording bass, isolated, you should move the uh, the microphone back a few feet. I had it right on top of the uh, speaker, and if you want to let some of that air travel between the mic and the speaker, you can actually get a better tone, which uh, I haven't tried yet, but I'm excited yeah. to Yeah. Uh, oh, we that. were talking a little bit about the um, Paul McCartney, the Paul McCartney uh, yeah, Jeff Emmerich based recording style where basically instead of just like shoving a mic right up close on it and this i mean when you think about the sort of the history of the way that uh, recording evolved at abbey road you know close mics weren't really a thing for a long time there mm-hmm. anyways they, they literally weren't allowed to but anyways he would throw a c12 about six feet off of uh, like a fender showman or basement or something and that is mixed with a di that is the that sort of like 60s fat bass sound oh yeah and you think about it because the frequency uh, of ba- they're, they're very long waveforms when mm-hmm. you're down in the bass so it takes a while for that to make the full cycle um and that's why you can capture that from far off it yeah it, it i never like would have just thought to do that and yeah. never, it never would have occurred to me to like hey pull the mic way far off your bass amp but then you know watch some youtube videos and then try it it's like oh this is this is the way to it do it great, so man. that's a little tip for I you there it. thanks yeah, i forgot about that one Ooh, I've got an actual correction for the Symphony of Corrections, and this is due to our Zappa conversation last week mm. when we um, fucked up the name of uh, the actual name of the just incredible percussionist marimba vibes player in Frank Zappa's band for years was Ruth Underwood. Yes. So yes. I feel like a dummy that I got that wrong at the time. Here we are. We're dummies. All right. <laughs> let's get into bad fucking ideas. Um, you know what? Actually, I have to start. This is this is amazing. I, I have to start with a good fucking idea this week because... Um, I have to thank one of our listeners. So uh, as our loyal listeners have known that I've been on this kind of like fairly recent but dedicated quest with these old DOD pedals. <laughs> the Dodfather. Um, where I have been christened the Dodfather. Uh, and I'm, you know, they're just a, this really cool era of like American made sort of affordable pedals. And I, I've just been really getting into them. Anyways, one of our listeners, and I, and I, I cleared it with him. He's okay with me to give his name and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Emmett Pavey from Chelsea in Quebec, uh, Canada, reached out and was like, "Hey man, I've got this. I've got this old DoD pedal. It's just been sort of like sitting in in, in a drawer that I don't use. Do you want it?" And so he actually sent me uh, an '80s DoD DFX91 digital sampler delay pedal, and I'm, yeah. and I'm holding it in my hands right now. Um, I, you know, of course, like I, I offered to, to give him money and everything for it. I'm not, I'm not total, a total asshole, but he was just like, no, I want you to have it. Wow. Um, thanks for doing the show. And that is honestly one of the, he wrote me this handwritten note yeah. and it's just one of the nicest things, like the coolest things that ever happened to me and would just come from this show. So I really want to say thank you to Emmett. You're fucking awesome. And yeah, if dude. you are, if you find yourself in Chelsea, Quebec, uh, up in Canada and, uh, 
need to get some sort of cafe type food, visit Cafe Palmier. I don't speak French, so I'm hoping I said that correctly. <laughs> and Emmett runs that that place. Hell yeah. Uh, dude. So go check that out. Thank you. Also, I just want to say the pedal's fucking rad. It's like it's got this, you know, it's a digital delay, but it has this one setting where it does kind of almost like a proto freeze kind of infinite sustain sample loop thing yeah. that is just super fun. And I've been having a, a lot of fun. I've already done these like stoned 15 minute guitar imp- improvisations <laughs> built completely around them. So, uh, yeah, I'm I, honestly, just, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm not saying this like to send me stuff. I'm just saying to say thank you. I think it's super fucking cool. Um, that he would, someone would be that generous just to like offer to send me something. Like yeah, that. man. Absolutely. Shout out. So thanks, man. All right, um, let's get. We've got a couple of BFIs, um, Dave. I know that this one kind of was like close to, close to press uh, time here that you wanted to talk about. You had a little situation with a fretless. Yeah, well, uh, uh, an old Fender here. Yeah, our, we had a former guest on. I think one of our first guests back in the day, uh, Pollyanni, who who lives up in Lakeview here in Chicago. Good, good close friend of mine, longtime friend, uh, huge gearhead, and. Um, he bought a fretless, um, you know, for a good deal. He actually put it, he ended up putting it together himself. It was a 78 fretless P bass. And he, he put the, he had mismatched pickups that he put together. He bought a bridge, he bought the body, the neck, all these parts came together and he, you know, put this Franken bass together, but it was, you know, completely accurate. And, um, he sold it to a fella and I actually got a chance to play this thing right before he shipped it, like as he was packing it up. And it's one of the greatest fretless bases I've ever played. I definitely want a fretless now, blah, blah, blah. Like it's something else on my gas list for sure. Um, a little bit, huh? Yeah. Ships it. And, and I think the day it got there, uh, the guy messaged him and is like, Hey man, this is a great playing bass. Like, I love this thing. It's perfect. And the neck shows up on reverb. You know, I'm kind of nice. like, and I know it's the neck because uh, I have photos of it. You know, it's when very I played distinctive. It. Yeah, you sent me some pics. It has I like really right shiny chrome covered tuners. I think the tuners were re uh, recovered in chrome. They're not nickel, but anyways, it's very distinctive looking. It's got some like kind of uh, wear marks on the headstock that are you know really noticeable. And uh, the guy, uh, he put it up on reverb right away. And I just, I kind of wanted to ask your guys' opinion. You know, what do you think about? buying a complete instrument and then especially a vintage instrument and then just taking it apart right away and and selling the pieces. Um, Some people think it's great because you can help out people who are looking for those parts. Other people think it's a shitty way to just make a couple extra bucks. Um, And especially on something that played really honestly, one of the best, not just fretless bases I've ever played, but one of the best bases I've ever played. It's kind of curious what you guys, how you guys feel. I mean, you know, I've got some thoughts. I want to, I want to, I want to see what Tor thinks about it. What do you, you you have any feelings about it, buddy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, seeing as he bought it, you know, essentially he would be free to do whatever he want. But I of do course. think it's sort of, mm-hmm. I do think it's sort of a shame. I think that, especially, you know, when it comes to vintage instruments, it's sometimes it's a little bit hit and miss. Some instruments are amazing, you know, mm-hmm. and and some are. You know, not as good because the quality control was a little bit more hidden miss back Especially then. Especially in so, the 70s, yep. yeah. Right. Yeah, so if you find a special instrument in general from from any sort of vintage era, I, I it it's almost like you're obliged to sort of, you know, keep it intact because, you know, there's no saying that just because, you know, that instrument played great that if you take the, the neck out and put it on another bass that it's going to sound equally good. 
Right. I agree. So, Dude, I, so, yeah. I, I think I agree. Yeah. You do, you do almost sort of become at that point, you, you're kind of a caretaker. It's like, this is entrusted to you now to do with it as it deserves. And then eventually, hopefully you can then pass that to someone else and then they can keep doing it because so, yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time, you know, I worked at CME, Chicago music exchange for a yeah. while. And I've, I've been, had a lot of vintage instruments in my hands and, and to your point or it's, they're not all great. You know, no. it's some, usually at this point, hopefully the good ones have survived because people have been playing them, but they're not all great so yeah i i think i agree i I, if it what really did turn out to be this special instrument like you're saying it was even though it was technically a parts instrument to begin with i feel like yeah i i would want to keep it together yeah that would that would be my opinion and 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 and, you know i i talked to my friend who sold it and you know he he was like well i got the money that i asked for it you know the guy didn't you know lowball him and so he got his deal and like you know like tor was saying i agree you know you're free to do with what you want with with Mm -hmm. something once it's yours um, and, and maybe it'll help out somebody who's looking for that neck, you know, to uh, complete their project base. But, you know, it was a little bummer to me. And, and, and I did find out. So twist to the story. I messaged the guy uh, and I was kind of like, hey, man, you know, I actually played this base and, you know, it's great. Are you going to be selling the rest of the parts? What are you doing? And he's actually keeping the body. Um, he is refinishing it again. It was already a refinished body, um, which to me, it was in like an old two tone refin. It, it felt like a 50s body. It was really lightweight. It had like this two-tone 50s um, nitro refin and all that. He's refinishing it again green, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, mm. I was kind of bummed out about that, but I offered him a price we, we for talking, it. Sh- we talking Sherwood? Yeah, he wanted to go Sherwood, which I, you know, it, that's a cool color. It's It was a custom color at the time. I don't even know right. if that was available in the late 70s, but the point is he's doing that. He's going to use it for his, he's got a fretted neck that he's going to use for it, a 70s mm. fretted neck. So he, he's an enthusiast like us. Yeah, um, but he, had, I, he had a plan for this thing. He knew he, what he was going to do. He absolutely knew what he was going to do. The funny part about it was he did message my buddy when he got the entire bass, you know, and he's like, oh my God, this thing plays amazing, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, my friend was even like, yeah, my other buddy, you know, who's a bass player was playing on it for, you know, a half an afternoon and was like, this thing is great. Um, kind of hoping the guy would keep it and, and use it for what it was, but Hey, it's his to do what he pleases. Yes. And, uh, that's yeah. all I really want to say about it. So there you go. Well, all right. yeah, worth, worth a little, worth a little BFI there. One quick last BFI before we get out of here. And this is for those, uh, those of our friends that have been keeping up with our local, <laughs> uh, Chicago Craigslist drama, uh, for our international listeners, those who don't know Craigslist being just like a free, you know, uh, one ad site. Uh, and a lot of people sell instruments on them on that here, uh, in Chicago. And there has been this war of attrition going on between, I don't know, I would imagine it's, it's a number of people at this time. Um, but basically there's this one guy who has this old Wurlitzer guitar that he keeps trying to sell. And then there's some guy that's really upset about it. And then now someone else has entered the chat and said uh here's the headline angry man screaming into the void again <laughs> again this is this is in the musical instruments section of the chicago craigslist here uh angry man screaming into the void and then and then the subject or the body of the posting there's no image or anything it just says it just says leave guitar repair guy and wurlitzer guy alone and then there's there's like colon parentheses you know sad face oh sad face it's yeah just, leave guitar repair guy and wurlitzer guy alone so we have face. a third member in the in the chat now apparently which is exactly uh, it's, it's i'm so happy about it uh and and apparently they're just really upset and they want Wurlitzer guy to be okay so that's fine uh nobody's getting hurt in all this so we're gonna keep paying attention to it that said now that we've made it through the symphony i get to say my two favorite words that i get to say every single week and those words are dave's dogs hell yeah man uh dude i'm bringing the heat today um you what know you I, we celebrated a birthday this week and 
Um, I want to I want to actually want to go back and recognize one of the greatest um, known, one of the greatest recognized but unrecognized players in history. Um, I'm talking John about whistle. I'm talking about Carol Kay. I'm talking about Carol. Oh, way better. Her yeah. birthday. Carol Kay. Her birthday was on Wednesday and it got me thinking the wheels started turning. I saw a lot of posts about her and, you know, people um, recognizing her birthday and celebrating her life. She's 85 years old. Um, I, I, I had to I had to go find if there was a Carol Kay doc. Now, technically, there is the Wrecking Crew documentary, which, you know, yep, uh, which I've seen. Yeah, I think we've all seen it. I haven't covered it yet in Dave's docs, but I will soon. But I wanted to go specifically more about her because that's not just about her. So I Love I watched it. an hour long interview with her on YouTube. Um, it's called Session Legend, the Carol Kay mm-hmm. interview. Is, and, that the, is that the one where she's playing like an Ibanez or something? Yeah, so Some she, weird bass the whole time? Oh, this is great, man. So yeah, there's I've a few interviews this. with her where she, well, there's a few. You can tell by the shirt that she's wearing. She likes her little flowery, like blousey uh-huh. shirts. Um, and it's it's awesome. She's So she's always playing this Ibanez. Um, and she has a Ibanez guitar too. She started off as actually as a guitar player, which a lot of right. people um, may or may not know. Um, she actually played... Can I just go down the list of like real quick? I made a list. I don't usually Dude, hit take it. a ton what, of notes. What is she on? All right. I'm just going to go through this and tell me this doesn't blow your mind. Give me the discog. She played guitar on La Bamba by Richie Valens. Did, I absolutely did not know that. Okay. Well, she did. Um, she played, I'm pretty sure, guitar on The Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Whoa. And then at some point, she was like, um, okay, I could either keep playing jazz gigs or I could make real money playing you know at these studio sessions you know because she was doing that a little bit kind of back and forth well one day she showed up and the uh bass player didn't show up and they just hand her the bass and they're like here you go you're gonna play bass today and she's like okay and ready for this i'm gonna read you a few she played on summertime which is a you know jazz standard by sam cook that famous recording Mm -hmm. she played on bernadette and sugar by honey bunch by the by the four tops Bernadette's my jam, dude. She played. I almost just started roostering just hearing the word Bernadette. Bernadette is like the chord progression in that song. Just it just does something to me, man. I love it. Holy shit. Um, I was made to love her by Stevie Wonder. I'm pretty sure the whole album, actually, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's one of the first albums I ever bought. Um, Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking. Oh, my God. She played Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees. She played on Feeling All Right, which is a super funky bass line on uh, Joe Cocker. Um. Ray Charles, she played specifically. I read she played on America the Beautiful, which I know she did a lot of work with Ray Charles. Uh-huh. She played uh, The Beat Goes On by Sonny and Cher. You're wow. going to like this one, Henry. She played on Zappa's album Freak Out. She played. Oh, she's the bass player on no, Freak Out? No, she's the 12 string guitar player on Freak Out. Holy shit. Dude, she is a monster player. And she played on the Mission Impossible theme song. So. Oh my God. Um, I just I wanted to shout out Carol Kay today, man, because like, you know, I posted a video on Facebook. A lot of people posted some stuff. I don't think people t- really take a step back and realize what a badass woman this lady was and and just how what an insane musician she was. Um, Dude, I can tell you're really fired up about this. I love it. Did you uh, did you are you going to talk about the Gene Simmons thing? We could bring it up. Uh, there's a there's Where a funny, she gave a lesson to Gene Simmons. There's a funny three and a half minute video on YouTube. Actually, it's not on YouTube. I bet Kiss's people or Gene's people took it down. You can find it on like <laughs> Daily Motion or something. But it's uh it's a video of her trying to show Gene Simmons how like a specific baseline that she played for a song. And she's like she ends up like literally giving him a lesson. And it gives me anxiety to watch because it reminds me of when I was, you know, 
somebody was better than me trying to show me how to play something. And by the way, this isn't a young Gene Simmons. He's like, you know, he's clearly in his 50s or 60s at this right. point. And, uh, you know, and it's not, a, you know, the videos from, you know, a couple of years ago, I think. And, and he's trying to fumble around on this bass, trying to play it. And she's like, no, no, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Which I thought was great. She just reminds me of this great, like an old grandma. I just, uh, I, I love her, man. I, I think she's, she's got such a personality. Um, it really comes through in this, in this documentary. I will say this too, by the way. She shits on Fender a lot. Uh, going back to the, I was going to ask, wasn't she, didn't she? Wasn't she a P bass player? Well, so obviously, for the recordings, you know, for the studio recordings back at Motown and you know all that stuff, they just you know they had a P bass or she had to have a P bass for those sessions because that was the sound and that was kind of the only bass that was really the uh, the studio you know quality bass back then, and so she played a Fender P bass. She specifically called it. Um, I believe she said it was. Just a tool. Uh, it does what it does well, but it's not like what she would, you know, it's not what she would want as far as tone mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, and it kind of, it's kind of a, a shout out to, you know, collectors today and, and, and those instruments of today where people back then just looked at them as tools and they, they did what they did. There's a lot of reason why people who played those back then don't obsess about them like we do today, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, I thought wasn't was she I, I didn't she isn't she a real big uh, like a, a ton of foam and mute going on in her bases? Yep. I feel yeah. like I remember seeing that. Yeah. So on the Ibanez, well, on the Fender, you know, you could kind of they had the, the 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 ashtray cover down by the bridge. Yeah. Uh, the original ashtrays had a piece of foam in there. And so right. you, when you would screw that on, you would actually get more of a muted sound. She uh, she has like uh, masking tape over the bridge on that Ibanez she's playing in the video in this documentary. And um She's, you know, it, it helps. She has a sponge or something like underneath the tape, but you just see this kind of crude, you know, masking tape all over the bottom of her bass. And that's, you that's know, that's sound and she's got the flat wound tone, you know, the flat wound strings. Yeah. She talks about it in the doc. And I will say this one last thing. Um, it's, it's a great, it's just an interview, but it really is like it's, she gives some lessons in the interview. Um, she talks about her history. She's a music theory genius. I mean, she knows everything about the names of, of scales and, you know, all of the chord structures and everything. So she really isn't just like, she didn't just go in there. She, she works in that mindset of like, she's not just jamming. She's thinking about the mathematics of, you know, scales mm-hmm. and, and the language of music and all that stuff. And the, Beautiful. during the doc, she actually is playing guitar and bass through the whole thing. So check it out. Watch this lady rip it up. I think at the, you know, I think the movie came out probably 10 years ago, I would guess. So this 75, you know, 80 year old lady, is just tearing it up on on all these classic bass lines that you love. I I forgot to mention she also played most famously on uh, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, which is one of the greatest bass lines of all time. So she's a monster. Carol Kay, this one's for you, man. Shout out. Dude, what's what's your totally arbitrary, uh, arbitrarily ranked, no real scale ranking of this? Yeah, no real scale ranking. I'm giving it a four and a half out of five gold records because I know she made a shitload Mm. of them. So it's it's hands down a really cool interview. Check it out. It's on YouTube. It, it won't take us to find it. Share that shit up on the old the old Facebook group. I'm going to. I shared a shortened version of it um, the oh, other day for her birthday. I kind of just to celebrate. But yeah. I'll share the I'll share the entire thing. It's like an hour long, so it's not a long watch or anything. And uh, it's it's great. Check it out. Oh no, I, I'm I'm quite sure I've seen that before, and I'm going to watch it again. Because, Absolutely, uh, man. She is. One, dude. It just if you're not smiling ear to ear through like the whole thing, then you might not have a soul. I don't know. I don't, I don't know think so. I don't know. I don't know. Do you, do you have a soul, Dave? I do. I have it, and it just came out through that uh, description. I sold mine to a dude in like I don't know. I was Did you? Like ten or ten or eleven. Uh, I don't think I ever got it back. So yeah, 
probably exp- explains a lot. <laughs> Anyways, all right, that's been Dave's Docs. Good one, dude. Let us turn our attention to our guest, and the way we like to do that is through a segment we call a couple two tree randos, where I just hit you tour with a couple two tree rando questions here. So let's do it. If you could swap places with any band member of any band, past or present, living or dead, doesn't matter your talent or theirs, who would that be and why? I would swap with George Harrison and the Beatles because hell yeah. Beatles is my favorite band um, of all time. Um, and I think that, you know, they made the, you know, basically the, the best songs ever. And I would have loved to, I mean, it, it would have been crazy to think to, to be a part of that, but I just would like to be a fly on the wall, you know, during writing mm-hmm. sessions and in the studio of them creating what to me is the best music ever created. So that, that would be my pick. And if I, you know, I, I mostly play a certain style of guitar, but with that said, I, I absolutely love George Harrison's playing and, you know, mm-hmm. actually being able to play something like that, Hopefully, I wouldn't ruin it with like senseless noodling over Haiti or something like that. <laughs> um, so, so it, that would that would be you know that would be crazy. That that would definitely be my pick. Yeah, you you'd dial up some some crazy delay on the on the the starlight or something. Yeah. and throw that on there. <laughs> uh that's a good one no i like i like that but because yeah it's it's tough to, it's like well yeah i want to be george but also i just i don't want george's music to no longer exist so i don't right. just like blink blink that out of existence by the way henry i might add and and tor yeah. the, uh, kudos to you you answered right away we've asked yeah. this question to a lot of guests and they're like um shit, like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> how do i answer right that off. he I knew right it. away who it was so cheers to you man. all right uh i'm gonna let's keep this going here uh any company in, in the world is like, hey, Tor, we're going to build you a signature guitar. Who, who, who do you want to build that guitar? And then, and then what would be the, the signature feature on there that makes it the, the Tor guitar? Oh, God. Um, so that sort of depends on two things. It's whether it's for my, my sort of my metal persona. So it's for, yeah, if right. it's for my metal band or if it's for, for my more, you know, 46-year-old, you know... <laughs> That that guy tour. Let's do both. Awesome. Let's let's do okay. both. Okay. So two it, companies the, approach the you easy, to build two signature guitars. Yeah. <laughs> the the easy thing is that it would actually be the same company because it would be Fender slash Jackson. Uh, FMIC, ah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So if it's for the metal stuff, I'm I'm totally into Jackson and Chavel guitars, um, uh, and I like them to be obnoxiously ugly, uh, <laughs> in, in a good way. Uh, so I, I, in, in the metal band I play in, I have a couple of Kellys that I really like, um, mm-hmm. big fan of Marty Friedman from back in, you know, the Megadeth days. Oh, yeah. Um, so I have one that's like, you know, red with like black bevels and another one that's tiger striped. So it would have to oh be, my God. <laughs> it would have to be, it would have to be a Chavelle. Uh, so and I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. do a, an awful lot to it. The only thing is that uh, I would swap out the humbuggers that are currently on the models I have for a single coil because I love Ingvar Malmsteen. I know that's not mm. popular to say, but I do, and I absolutely love his sort of neck pickup lead tone with that single yeah. coil sound from the Strat. Yeah. Um, so I would I would do that. I would, but no, no scalped frets. Yeah, does though, he right? do the scalloped no, frets? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. No, that's weird. Okay. I, I tried some of those. <laughs> it's hard. Guitars. It's yeah. really hard. Um, but yeah, so I would do that. Um, I would probably find like a really weird 
color. I don't know which one. Definitely reverse headstock. I don't have that on any of my Chevelles now. Mm, Love that nice. for the metal stuff. And then the only thing I do is, and I, you know, if anybody from Chevelle or Jackson are, are listening, please, dear God, move the volume up back a bit. It's in, <laughs> it's in so much in the wrong place, I can't believe it. It's too close for you? Yeah, it's too close to where my picking hand is. Yeah. So what I actually do right. on, all my, on all my Chevelle and Jackson guitars is that I basically just take it out so there's a hole in the bottom, uh, in the yeah. body. And then yeah, I right. rewire the, I take out the tone control and put the volume up there. So no tone control, just the volume. Yeah, good enough for for Eddie Van Halen. Good enough for us. Exactly. Right? Uh, what would the what would your uh, your forty six year old dad guitar be like? Mm, uh, yeah, I, yeah oh, that's t- it's it's actually pretty easy and really boring. I'm I, I'm a Strat guy. When, that's what I you know grew up listening to Hendrix, uh, Steve mm-hmm. Ray Vaughan, and then sort of fell into Malmsteen and some of these guys. So I've I've just always been a Strat guy. It's the you know it's the most comfortable guitar. I love the sound of it, um, and you know. We talked about a little bit about vintage stuff before. I wouldn't, I wouldn't venture into crazy stuff. It would just be like a, you know, <laughs> pretty much like the guitar I have now, which is like a custom shop '61 Strat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that sort of thing um, might put some, you know, if, if we were to go all out, you know, you know, just say screw it with. The you know with the rainforest and put some Brazilian rosewood on there and <laughs> so, you know what someone's got some reserves of that stuff. Oh yeah, there's stockpiles of it. Yeah. You know, so just just make a really nice vintage style strat. I yeah. might want to change the radius of the neck to something a little bit more modern. Um, yeah, put in some jumbo frets. Um, but you know, I wouldn't I, for that stuff. I'm I'm pretty boring. I just I love strats. That's that's my jam. Love it. If you could <clears throat> take a lesson from any guitarist, living or dead, or actually any musician, frankly, living mm. or dead, who would that be? Ooh, that's a good question. I I don't do that enough. So, um, not too long ago, I actually took a lesson from a from a. He's not super famous, but he's a he's an amazing metal guitar player. Uh, Brandon Ellis plays in the Black Dahlia Murder. Oh, um, wow, that's wow. amazing, yeah. Um, and that was sort of interesting just to get some new ideas. But I think that if I could pick any guitar player that I would love to take lessons from, it would probably be Wes Montgomery, actually. Um, Ooh. Oh, really? Those uh, those, oc- those octave uh, single yeah, note Just lines. in general. So I am I really like listening to jazz. Um, and not too long ago, I inherited this amazing jazz guitar from my uncle, who was a great guitar player. Um, and I sort of feel like I can, I can sort of, I can get through the chords and stuff, but I'm not definitely not a jazz solo guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, you know, Wes Montgomery is, he sort of made jazz guitar sound easy. You listen to somebody like, you know, um, I don't know, um, some of the more modern players and I'm trying to think of their names right now. Like Ju- Julian Lage. Yeah, for example. Oh, yeah. 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 Or even like, you know, some of the more fusion guys like Osnoy or somebody like that and you just oh, go okay, like, sure. I have no idea what they're, you know, what they're doing. Or John Schofield for that matter. I love those G- guys. Guthrie but, Govan or something. Yeah. But all of those guys, you, I feel like I, it's, it's over the top for me. It's, it's too much to understand. I sort of, <laughs> I have this idea in my head that Wes Montgomery could actually teach me how to be a, a decent jazz player with a limited you know without having to know every single you know chord variation and every single right, arpeggio and every single you know mm-hmm. so that that would probably be my all-time i think you know for the, for the for the for the rock and metal stuff 
in general. Yeah. I've done that so much that even though there's, you know, I'm by no means claiming to know everything, I can typically, if I hear somebody, I can typically sort of pick up what's happening. Yeah, right. right. And it's more a matter of if, if I had the talent mainly and if I had the, you know, the time, I could... I could sort of get to a point where I could play something vaguely similar with jazz guitar. Right. I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a completely foreign language in it in a in it not even in like you know whatever I don't even know the word for it like in, in Cyrillic or something where it's like I I can't even recognize the letters let alone mm. the, the, exactly. the words. I I had a similar experience uh, some years ago. I went to a concert with um, um, Tommy Emmanuel. Oh, wow. and it was yeah. just it was an amazing show. He's he's just a ridiculously good guitar player but he's it was a superhuman it, but it was the same sort of thing where it's like i have no idea what he's doing and it's actually quite interesting because if you get to that point you, i generally tend to enjoy the music more because it doesn't become this thing about me trying to sort of pick up what's going on and is right, it that scale yeah. or it's just right. like i'm just going to sit back and realize the fact that i'll i'll never be able to play like that and that's totally fine <laughs> Dude, and, you, and you talk about people that make it look easy he's doing things that yeah. no nobody else can do he's a certified guitar picker and he just does it with a smile on his face in in this Effortless. way that makes it look like you could do it but then you try yeah. and it's like nope yeah, nobody yeah, can do that yeah well that's a good one all right so this question actually comes from our previous guest uh confusingly henry also brown uh his question uh is that he would like to know what is the stupidest thing that you've ever done the worst mistake that, that you've ever made that you can actually disclose on this podcast right now <laughs> um, oh God, there's, there's, just, there's so many um I, I i think i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to i'm gonna stick to product and pedal stuff i i have sure. i have some i have some uh, some rock and roll horror stories but i think th those are probably not for sharing here so gotcha. off the top of my head, I'm sure there's way, way more and probably also way stupider things. But back when I said TC, I'm sure there are plenty of other mistakes I've done and some might, it's yeah. probably most likely worse, but, but this one was at least pretty costly and time consuming. Oh, okay. So we were, uh, this was back when I was working at TC Electronic um, and we're doing a new pedal in this series. Uh, it's it's a while ago, uh, and the series was called the Nova pedals. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, after some of these pedals came out, we we're you know supposed to do a couple of other ones. And to save some time, I I copied the spec, the original spec from the pedals to uh, to a new sheet to basically have the spec for the uh, for the new pedal come up. Right. Um, and the only thing I, I didn't think about was that the, the original pedal that I copied the spec from was uh, sort of aluminum and uh, aluminum colored. And that mm -hmm. meant that the silk screen on top of the pedal was, was specced as black. And the new pedal that I was, uh, I was working on was supposed to be black anodized. So oh, wow. when, I, when I did the copy and sent it over to, uh, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the subcontractor in China, they got the spec saying that this is going to be a black pedal with black silk screen on it. Right. And right. We we got the first ten thousand. Uh, oh, they didn't top send a sample or anything. Just, no, they just went for it, black oh, on black. Wow. Which like, also I will say looks cool. I you know that's as a, a badass color from a design color perspective. Scheme. Black on yeah. black always it, looks cool. Maybe not on stage. Maybe I, not when you really need it. But. I think in hindsight we should have probably just kept those and and made those units and have them limited in like edition, a special yeah. edition. But we had to. <laughs> I can't back believe then, you didn't do that. Yeah. I wonder. So what? So then, what happens to the? To yeah, can we like find that? those in like a like, like a dumpster in China or something? Like yeah, that, something like that. Something <laughs> wow. like that. Damn. They're probably in a that dumpster is, well, in Thailand where we had the. They were sent there, and they're like, 
in China, the thing is, if you don't if you don't spec everything out, they're not going to question you. So they'll just sure. you know whatever yeah, you say. Yeah, they just do exactly what they're told. Right? That's like just, what they're going to build. And in Thailand, they 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 did think a little bit more about it. So you, we basically got a mail saying like, "Are you guys sure you want to build all these pedals?" But like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, <laughs> damn, we sure don't. Wow. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's, that's, I mean, that's a good one, but I guess, you know, you, it's certainly the sort of mistake and, and that type of thing that I know you'd never, you'd never even think you'd never be able to make that again, at least. Right. So no, uh, you'd, and, you'd, and you're you'd, still you'd double check things like that. You, you learn know, from that. Then exactly. it's something else, right? Well, so last question for this, uh, for this uh, segment here, what question should we ask our next guest? Uh, you don't get to know who they are, just someone else in the music world also. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I would like to know the next for the next guest uh, what assuming that it's a guitar player I, or a bass player I would like to know what or any musician really uh, what made them pick up the instrument to begin with. Mm. That's that's a question right there. Love it. So let's. Uh, I, I mean, that's a perfect segue for us to take it back to you and get into your history and background a little bit. Um, what <clears throat> what made you pick up the instrument? What was that like? Where did you grow up? Give us give us the uh, early tour days. Oh, so yeah, so I, I mean, I live in Denmark, um, and I grew up in the same city that I live in now, second largest city in Denmark, which it doesn't say a lot, called Aarhus, um, mm-hmm. and grew up being more of a you know i was into hip-hop and and uh skateboarding and graffiti and stuff like that uh when i was when i was young uh much younger was there was that just like a was that just kind of the thing that kids were doing then was that just like the scene you 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 grew into yeah i think so and it was new at the time so this was like you know africa bombarda and like Mm. the the super super early stuff and then then uh yeah what brought the guitar along for you so a friend of mine that I used to hang out with a lot had a had a big sister, and she was uh, she was a little bit of like a wild child. She was pretty hot as well. So we, you know, all us kids that were like three, four years younger were were totally like you know oh into this into this girl. And she used to crank ACDC and Jimi Hendrix and and, and all <laughs> nice. these things. So suddenly that that became interesting, right? And luckily, you know, my <laughs> yeah, my Weird my parents. How that works. <laughs> my parents are all are old hippies um, so they had all that all those albums lying around i used to listen to a lot of beatles already back then but i really hadn't started listening to like some of these other things and mm-hmm. it, it you know I, I started doing that and it just it just got me and i had a my parents always tried to get me to play an instrument my dad plays the bass um, but i was never really into it so i started i think i started when i was like 13 or 14 mm-hmm. um and I've, I've, you know, I, you know, part of me wish I started earlier, but at the other, on the other hand, I think at, at that age, that's where you really sort of, if you do something, you do it because you absolutely True. want to, you really just, you know, you really want to do it. Um, so I was just, I, I had a, a really good friend and his parents was, uh, they were music teachers. So he played for a long, long time and I just became totally obsessive with playing guitar, spent all my all my time doing that and you know trying to learn every Hendrix solo every David Gilmour solo or every Steve Ray Warren solo all that stuff that was mm-hmm. sort of sort of my thing um, so I when when this is all happening you know I and <clears throat> it can go one of either two ways obviously you're known in this in this music world now as a musician also as this sort of gear person and and was that something that was present early on did you did you give a shit about 
geeky gear stuff right away or did that come later? It, it came a little later. I think, you know, these days, you know, you can just, you know, open a browser and there is every single available piece of information about, right. you know, what people use. So I, I'm I'm 100% sure that I would have dived headfirst into that stuff if the information <laughs> yeah. would have been mm-hmm. there uh, back then. Because, you know, if, I, if I'm into something, I'm definitely, I'm all in. Right. But but back then there wasn't really that much information. So you know what I really wanted was just like you know I want a red Stratocaster because that's what Jimmy played at Monterey, uh, sure. and that was and and some sort of Marshall amp because again that's what he used and that was the information I had and you know so mm-hmm. I got like a Japanese Strat red Strat and you know and a small Marshall combo and that was pretty much the extent of what I knew. So the all the other things sort of happened gradually over a long period of time. Sure. Uh, were, were, was, so was a Red Strat, was that your first guitar? Um, yes, it, it was my first electric guitar. So I, I think, you know, like, like most parents, my, they were like, yeah, you know, we're not giving you a, an expensive electric guitar and, a, and mm-hmm. an amp before you sort of show that, you know, this is not like the million other things that you say you're into and you're into it for like two months and then we're like there with, with, with soccer shoes or basketballs yep. or but in the bicycles or yeah. <laughs> the karate uniform. <laughs> exactly. All that stuff. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get you a, a fairly cheap acoustic and then we'll see where it goes from there. And they, I mm-hmm. think they quickly realized that this, this was something else. So it was my first cool. electric guitar. Cool. I've, well then, <clears throat> you know, this is something that's been sort of coming up and actually uh, related to something we were talking about earlier. And, and my first pedal was this do this DOD pedal. And now I'm like, you know going after the collection later on in life <clears throat> do you remember what your first pedal was yeah this is actually a weird story because my first pedal was not one pedal i got a i got i think i got three or four pedals at the same time oh, so wow. a, a friend of my parents who's a really eclectic guy he he makes a living racing submarines from you know <laughs> sun, sun, sunken submarines that what he that's what he's doing now so basically if if there's like a submarine that you know for some odd reason typically during war sunk he'll yeah. he'll he'll basically be a treasure hunter and and find it you can actually oh find there's there's a there's like a uh, like a documentary on him on, on 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 YouTube you can find some clips with him he, he looks like it and he used to be into um into like old western indians cowboys especially indians mm-hmm. uh, before that so and he still looks like a, an indian even though he's like totally danish but he was <laughs> he's a really really cool really eclectic guy and he Sounds also like ha- had some had some friends in the music industry uh, and one of them being john hyatt so one day oh, he okay. just shows up at our doorstep and says like oh you know john hyatt gave me like this box of pedals that he wasn't using anymore. So, you know, would you like them? And I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, my yeah. first, my first free pedals were a bus, green bus phaser. I can't remember the oh, number. Yeah. It's the, the three knob one, not the, not PH the four knob one. PH, I think it's the yeah. PH2, a bus DM2. So the analog oh, sort yeah. of, which is a super cool pedal. Um, and a and a bus compressor, the C two, I think, the one with with, with CS two, yeah, yeah, it's still a popular one. I believe. It is really cool. So those were the first free pedals I got, and obviously you started back, strong with those. Jesus, I, I yeah, did. That's I, a really good collection. I, I I did, and obviously, what I really wanted back then was like a like a bus turbo distortion or something. So right, could, of course. You know. <laughs> 
just thrash. Oh, that's that's. Do do you still have them by any chance? I still have those. I still have those pedals. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow, that's very cool. And to have such a <clears throat> an interesting lineage with them, I guess. Uh, you were you were destined for this world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what was the sort of like? What was the step? Did you did you start? At, originally immediately start playing in bands like putting that all that stuff together how did you sort of amp up your no pun intended amp up your your musical path your journey that you're on when i started when i started playing and i you know i wanted to learn i never took a lesson so what i did was i bought the speaking of beatles again there's at least in denmark there's this big thick red book with every single Beatles song and it just had like you know the chord progressions for those mm-hmm. and yep. because i know every single Beatles song that was literally like the perfect Dave, Dave are you like being arrested right now oh there is uh yeah there's a definitely a uh fire truck going by I apologize that was hilarious uh, so so yeah so I, I because I know all those Beatles songs by heart it was pretty easy to just I, I would just pick the easiest ones find the ones with like two or three chords go through those and add more and more to sort my repertoire of of Beatles songs and then over mm-hmm. time started doing stuff and then when I started playing in not in bands as such, more like, you know, playing in like the high school band and playing at like the Christmas party and, and things like that, different like top 40 stuff. And then when I finished high school, I really got into playing in bands. That was right mm-hmm. when when grunge happened and I was like heavily into Nirvana, Alice mm-hmm. uh, Chains, uh, Soundgarden, all those bands. Um, and also like more of the funk heavy stuff with Red Hot Chili Peppers and Fishbone. So I just, I played in three different bands and pretty much all I did was play in bands and practice guitar when I didn't play in bands for a couple of years. Sure. Hell yeah. How did that transition then into becoming this TC electronic gear person that everyone knows on the internet? How did that, where where did that sort of, how did did you lead into that? That's, that's a long story. So at some point during, I'll see if I can make it fairly short. So Oh, we've got all the time in the yeah, world, man. my friend. This, time. Is a, this is a podcast. We're uh, not recording a tape here. So um, so at some point, while I was sort of being into this whole Hendrix, bluesy, more classic rock kind of trip, I was in uh-huh. I was in Copenhagen visiting my uncle, the jazz guitar player, and he was working during the day. So I was just strolling around Copenhagen and obviously going into a record store and just browsing through the, you know, the vinyls, seeing if there's something that caught my attention. And I saw this... I saw this cover of this crazy looking guy with long hair and like weird clothes on and uh, a seven string guitar. And it was the Steve Vai Passion and Warfare album. Mm. And the thing that sort of weird was that back, I was listening so much to that sort of 60s era music that I'd never really paid attention to Eddie Van Halen or any of the guys that sort of came after Jimmy mm-hmm. and sort of like was the next step. So I bought that album just sheerly from the look of it, and I put that on. So I sort of missed this sort of gradual increase from Jimi Hendrix up to like you know, eighty shredding, a, and it it's a big leap to Steve Vai. It was yeah. just it blew my mind to a point where it's like this is the most ridiculously cool thing I've ever heard, and I I you yeah. know I need to be able to if not play as good, I need to you know do my very best to play that sort of stuff. So I just immersed myself in you know. From there, you know, I it you know it quickly became aware of like Ingrid Malmsteen, Satriani, all these guys, sure, um, and just immersed myself in that sort of shreddy guitar playing to the point where you know playing like forties bands and you know suddenly I'd throw in like 
crazy tapping solos in like like a virgin by Madonna and things you know <laughs> yep. the singer would look at you angry and you know so <laughs> everyone turns around like all right bro so at, at the next thing that happened was then that you know becoming sort of semi proficient at playing that sort of stuff um you know and obviously not really being able to play that sort of that sort of style with you know in the bands I play and I, it sort of caught the attention of of some local metal bands because you know that sort of style of playing is is accepted in in that style of music so i got some offers to join a few different bands and then i i joined cool. this fairly popular band in in denmark at the time a death metal band called Ildispost. and death metal at that point was wasn't really my thing but you i learned to love it oh um, yeah so i did that at the same time i started studying at university so i have a master's degree in philosophy of all things Oh, directly applicable to what we're talking about. Yeah, right totally. Now, of <laughs> so, so uh, my plan was actually, you know, have the music as a hobby, and then you know, study philosophy and become a philosopher teacher at the local university. At but by the end of it, after I finished my master's thesis, I was just I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So, any sort of washed up musician in my hometown has one place to go um, and that is TC Electronic because TC Electronic uh, is located in the same city so you know mm. after I sort of figured out that I didn't want to I didn't want to you know work as a teacher uh, I applied for a job there and they had uh, they had an opening as a web developer or webmaster there and I I that was right in the beginning of like when you know all companies had to have a web page um, right and i just on the side for fun i started you know dabbling in coding html and like mm -hmm. crude javascript and like early flash stuff um, and that was before you know these days you have to be you know really good at it and you have to have a you know a proper education to really get a job in that sort of sure but Back then, it was like, oh my God, you can code HTML. That's like the, <laughs> that's that's enough of a of of a of a job, uh, you know. Oh yeah, you, you know what a header and, and body tag is. You're hired. Yeah, you're yeah. hired. Yeah. So so I got hired to do that, and I actually did that at TC for for five six years. No kidding, I did not know that. So that was my first job at TC. Yeah, um, and then at some point, TC back then was really more of a studio company than a guitar company sure. uh, so they were known mm -hmm. for doing like the you know the rack 19 inch rack products for studios 2290 all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah m m5000 the finalizer mm -hmm. all that stuff um but it became pretty apparent at some point that that market was going away towards plugins and towards more home recording instead of you know super high-end studios buying this stuff so even though tc were you know probably the number one company in the world for, for that sort of stuff. It was like, we're, we're still number one in a, in a, in a business that's slowly shrinking away to next to nothing. So sure. the sort of the owner and management of TC decided that they had to venture into other areas. And one of the areas that they, they found that they wanted to sort of become more interested in was guitar. You know, obviously TC was founded as a guitar company um, right. and, Throughout the years, there's always been guitar products, but it was more like, here's a platform. We have a 19-inch rack unit that we're doing like a reverb and a compressor for studio stuff. Can we throw some guitar 
algorithms in there as well. That oh, was totally. Sort of, I, I had a uh, I had a G major and G minor. At exactly, one and that you know the G <laughs> the G major is basically from a from a platform that was that you know came from other products, a studio product com- called uh, M1 XL. M1 and mm. M1 XL did something called D2, and those were all studio products. And at some point, it was right. like, oh, can we do a can we do a guitar product on this platform that was, you know, internally dubbed the Manhattan platform. And, you know, somebody did that. That was before my time. But mm-hmm. then it was decided that, like, let's go seriously into guitar. And because I have a tendency not to, you know, say my, I think that's why, I don't know, but I say what I think and I am pretty opinionated when it comes to stuff like that. You know, the the head of the product management department asked me to, you know, if I was interested in basically transitioning from doing the web stuff to, to doing this. And that was a dream come true. That was like, you know, I couldn't believe that. So obviously I, I jumped that. So that's, I did that for, I think 11 years. So I was a TC for close to 16 years. So I did wow. the web stuff for close to five years. And then I did, did product management for, for around 11 years. And, you know, during that time, I, for people who don't know what I did there, I worked on G system. It just came out when I when I started in that job, but I did a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, software updates and stuff for that. And then I did the Nova Nova series as me, mm. um, the Tone Print stuff, Polytune, Ditto Luber. Those were sort oh of the. Oh my god! I, I can't. I, I, in my notes here, like I'm so glad you just said that because I can't read the words Ditto Looper and not hear them in your voice. <laughs> like, I have, I, I, sh- I am not. I literally, I wish you could see my notes right now because I have that on here. It's just like I read those words and it is in Tor's voice. <laughs> Weird Danglish, Danglish voice. Yeah, try. So it's actually a funny thing. So you asked how I got into this more of like the the outward facing part right. of uh, you know of my role at tc and i it's funny because i that was always a very small part of my day-to-day work i never spent that much time on it um but that's what everyone must know you for, yeah right? of course because that's what they see but you know my day-to-day yep. work was you know specking products coming up with new product ideas managing the entire sort of business side of of tc's guitar business was my really my, my main job was actually just sort of looking at the guitar side of the TC product portfolio and making sure that we were profitable and making money and growing. That that was my real job, so to speak. That, that's so interesting to learn that. And thank you for sharing that because I, I would imagine a lot of people see those videos and they're like, well, I I want my job to just be the guy that makes the, the videos on the internet. And it's yeah. like, even the guy whose job it is making the videos on the internet, that isn't even just really his no, job. That's no, just no. like one small part of it. Yeah. So, but, you know, that whole thing started because... Um, we were doing some product launches and I can't even remember. I think it was for the Nova pedals or something like that. And we tried to get some different guys in there. Typically, you know, native English speaking guys, because I'm really well aware that my, you know, I can't hide the fact that I'm, you know, from Denmark. Right. Why would you? But I felt like, you know, that, that would be, it, it, it wouldn't sell the products probably if there was somebody oh, that wasn't, sure. wasn't native speaking. So I tried to get all these different guys, uh, you know, and they were great. Um, you know, they were great players and they could certainly sort of sell the message. But it just ended up being so much work trying to tell them exactly what to say and having to be there anyway because, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's not exactly the way you have to phrase this. Yep. You have to be different. And at some point I'm like, I'm going to try to do this myself because I can probably 
I can do it in half the time and, you know, let's see what, what happens. So I did that and it, it turned out okay, I guess. So it, I just kept doing it. Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people, it, the value of the, those videos isn't just in selling the product. It, it, there was a lot of informational stuff there. So it was kind of interesting to me when you said that, you know, you decided you didn't want to be a teacher yet. Here you are through all these years, but essentially being a teacher, teacher to yeah. thousands to millions of people on the internet with these, these pedal videos and that sort of stuff. So, <clears throat> you know, interesting, but, uh, I guess it's take, were, were there any products that in this T in this time at TC that you just thought for sure you're like oh this is this is gonna be like the hit people are gonna freak out about this and then just you know it came out and people didn't really seem to care like you thought they would yeah uh, there's there's one in particular so we did uh, we did did Oluba um, and it I had a hunch that it would be a popular pedal that it would sure. sell fairly decently but I don't think anybody at TC were thinking uh, you know we're expecting the amount of success that that pedal had it it's it was mind-boggling it, it and, and still yeah. to this day I yeah really. it is i the, reverb just posted their best-selling pedals of 2020 um mm -hmm. not too long ago and it's still the best-selling pedal in the world right after yeah, so. after eight years or something like that which is there just mind-boggling um and it has been cons consistently for the last eight years since it came out um, well, that must be a, a pretty nice feather in your cap, yeah, in a way. Of course, you know that's you know that 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 is a that's a cool little thing to 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 think about. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, obviously, with with that sort of success, uh, you know, you start thinking about oh, what could we do that would be interesting in the same sort mm -hmm. of way and potentially right. get us to that those sort of numbers. So the next project that we started working on was this idea that it would be cool to have a pedal. This was before the iPhone really took off and, you know, everybody just using the voice memo app for that. It sort of, it wasn't there, but it wasn't like super popular yet. But the idea would basically, mm -hmm. you'd have a small pedal, mini pedal on your pedal board. And whenever you had a product, uh, sorry, a riff idea or something like that, or an idea for a chord progression, you'll just hit that pedal. It would record whatever you you did. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And um, it had like, it had like three physical buttons on the front yeah, of it, right? Yeah. Like, so what it was, was that called? It was called Wiretap. Yes, yeah. that's right. I remember that. Okay. So we did that and you know, just based on the fact that we thought it was really clever and everybody, you know, has ideas and they forget them. And the fact that all the dealers based on the crazy success of Ditto Luber were like all in. They 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 were really like, Yeah, this is gonna be the next massive hit and we're buying mm -hmm. everything. We we made a lot of these and it just it absolutely totally tanked like you wouldn't believe it <laughs> i wonder how much of it is everybody already had a fucking ditto so they're like well i don't what do i need this other thing right. for? I, I, to be to be honest i think the main problem is that first of all a lot of a lot of guitar players are actually not creative and i'm not saying they're not creative in that sense but they're not like really into like making music they like playing guitar and they like mm. noodling with overdrives and delay pedals to get cool sure. tones but they're not like i'm totally. gonna sit down and write a couple of riffs writing and, songs yeah and and a lot of the guys who actually do that are a little bit more structured about it you know they'll be like now i'm sitting down and i'm trying to write something and i'll mm -hmm. capture it totally. afterwards and the other thing is that if you look at pedals in general guitar products in general they're sort of the things that create sounds which are exciting delay pedals overdrives even loopers and and then there's the more 
boring stuff that are like, you know, things that are just utility. So, you know, uh, as an example, like uh, buffers. A polytune. Or a polytune. You need a tuner, right? So that's, you know, it, they're on your board because you absolutely have to have one. But a lot of yeah. the other mm-hmm. stuff, it's like, it's not as exciting buying like an AP pedal or a, <laughs> right, or, sure. or a buffer or like a... I know that there is. It's slowly getting more popular. Like a lot of the the, the switches, like the MIDI switches and loop switches out uh-huh. there. There's a reason why you don't see why you don't see them on any board, even though it makes a lot of sense to have them. It's because you're buying control. You're not really buying, you know, a new sound. Like you know, you That's get right. excited excited about a new delay or something like that, but you don't yeah. get excited about switching between three presets. Or or like recabling your board and spending a bunch of money yeah. on something like that, it which will make a difference. On that one for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it it is it is definitely more of a like a, a yeah, it's a utility type thing that just it's hard to get. I get excited about that kind of stuff. I don't think most people get excited. Yeah, about that. yeah, <laughs> I, but I, I get I get I get excited about it, but I don't necessarily want to spend a hell of a lot of money on it. I'd exactly, probably right. rather spend it on like the the new overdrive that you know yep. that I probably don't need, but I have to have it anyway. You have to. <laughs> So then, okay, so that, that, I mean, that didn't really work, but I guess, you know, you you brought up an interesting point and it's something I want to ask you about. And I guess, you know, you're you're thinking about this idea of product development as this product manager and it's like, okay, well, you know, you're obviously UA now and and you just had these pedals come out and you spent a lot of time doing that with TC. How much of your time is spent thinking, okay, where, where, where is there a a total gap that we can fill Mm. versus, you know, uh, here's something that we know is going to work in the market. How do we how do we create something else that's going to work? Do you know what I mean? Are, are, how much of your time is spent versus like I'm think I got to I've got to get a product that's going to sell versus I got to get a product that is interesting and unique and that's something that nobody has yet. I think it's a it's a combination of the two. So I mean, it's always it's obviously it's always interesting to make something that's entirely new and nobody has seen before. Um, mm-hmm. If I were to be totally honest with myself, I actually haven't done that a lot i i think my strength is 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 more in looking at the markets that are already there and sort of finding ways to to make products that are unique within that market rather than sort of inventing a new market so i think you know if i were to say you know a product that i think is absolutely brilliant and i wish i came up with that uh, is like the whammy pedal Oh, yeah, Which is right. like, you know, that is, you know, I know that it's not as popular as it, as it used to be, but the whole idea of taking something that is literally already there and basically inventing a whole new category and, and right. being really successful about it at the same time is is absolutely brilliant. So hats off to the guys who came up with that. Oh, uh, yeah. If I've, I, got a, I've got a Whammy 5 on my board right now for the first time. It's, it's fucking really fun. It's, it's really cool. So if I think of sort of my my career as somebody who comes up with products if you look at uh, polytune which was the first product i did that was really successful yeah um, i've also got one of those on my board it's it's not like tuners hadn't been invented before so this was more a matter of saying what can we do something with tuners that hadn't already been done can we do something cool and different Mm -hmm. yeah uh with the tone print pedals it was the same sort of thing it wasn't like you know delays or reverbs or you know, all these different types of pedals weren't already there. It was more like, what can we do to make these, you know, these types of, of pedals interesting again? And that's what exactly sort of spawned the, the tone print concept. Ditto Luba was I, the same. That, 
Oh, go, go tone print. I've I've got to say, tone print is is when you were talking about this idea of, of taking a thing and then maybe sort of revolutionizing it or adding some something that wasn't there. That was what jumped in my brain because I mean that is such a cool feature that I I had a flashback on my board for a long time and then I loved doing that and just like because I, I also found that I feel like even people that owned those pedals didn't always know that you could point no. your fucking phone <laughs> at your guitar and change it. That's so I wild, loved yeah. doing that to people be like, wait, check this out. I'm gonna make my guitar sound like a you know a fourteen four modem for a second and then now all of a sudden i've got steve vi's delay preset in yeah. my in my pedal right. and i think even you know even with ditto luba it you know it's totally different but the, it was the same idea of back then lubas were um you know these pretty expensive uh pretty expensive pedals that had a lot of features and built-in drum machines and all this stuff and you know they're mm-hmm. th- uh, sort of the new thing or the different way of thinking about it was just strip all that away and make something that's really really easy and simple to use so I think that's my strength, and that's what I do at UA today um, more than anything is sort of saying, okay, so what is the strength of the, the company? And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, UA is known for making, you know, arguably the best emulations of of, of classic vintage gear uh, around. And it's like... You're, you're, you're hearing it on this podcast right now, folks. Yep. Every, every one of our episodes, in fact, has been done with Universal Audio yeah. here. So. And, and I think that, you know, it... It's just so the here the idea with 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 these new UA effects pedals is mm-hmm. is is sort of saying what actually happens if somebody if a company comes along and just says you know we're not going to make any compromises whatsoever on on basically just nailing these classic sounds that all guitar players know and love because oh, yeah, you know right. I I've been in this business for a long time and I know I'm you know I can't speak for every other company but I definitely know a few of them and I know that you know even though you want to make the best possible pro- products you can there's also always some considerations and some compromises you have to do there's a familiarity and, there right there is and you know whether it's you know whether it's hitting a certain price point or whether it's the limitations of of you know what the what the guys doing the algorithms can do or you know any sort of thing um it's it, there's all always these constraints that you work within as as a product guy and you know being coming to UA one of the things that I was most excited about was just this thing that I know that, you know, the company in general and our owner and, you know, the, mm-hmm. that whole team are, what they really want to do is make the the best products out there. And that's what we, that's what we set out to do is just, let's make the, if, if you are into, you know, classic vintage guitar effects, let's make the best products ever created for that particular purpose. Wow, and it's and so far early reviews seem to to say that you you have done that, and I do want to talk about those pedals quite a bit. Um, I before we do, I kind of want to sort of complete the complete the story here. So obviously you're at TC for a long time, and then <clears throat> as I'm sure most people listening to this know, at a certain point um, there was this acquisition that happened, and so you were there for the Music Tribe part, right? Yeah, I was there for three, four years, I think. Was there was that like a was that a big change culturally for you in the company? Was what was that like for you as just as this TC guy to have then now been acquired and have this big company kind of come in and take over? However that went, it it was a big change. And I you know I, I, one thing to sort of keep in mind is that TC wasn't a small company before that either. So even though right. you know the TC Electronic as you know as the brand and that company was around one hundred and sixty people or something. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, not small by any means. No, not at um, all. Obviously not the size of Roland or, or you know, some of these really Yamaha. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, not a small company. And at the same time, TC actually was part of a bigger group of companies. Uh, TC, was the, TC Electronic was the original company, but uh, the owner, the group of three owners actually bought, acquired some other companies. So TC Electronic was actually part of TC Group which mm-hmm. owned TC Helicon, which is, sure, you yeah, know, the, right. the uh, vocal effects company uh, that's based in uh, in Canada. They owned uh, Tannoy, loudspeaker company from from England, Scotland. Sure. Um, Labgruppen, which is a touring and installed power amp company from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. I'm probably forgetting a company. Well, in any case, they owned... a some different companies that were all part of this group. So in total, I think we were around a thousand people. So it wasn't a small company, right. um, but, but obviously, you know, going from that and then being acquired by music tribe uh, and, and Behringer was, mm-hmm. was a, a major change. First of all, because that company is much bigger. Um, and also because TC electronic was sort of the hub of this whole group of companies Back, back when you know before it got acquired, and then suddenly TC became a satellite uh, for you know for a bigger company that's based right, you know right. half half the time in China and halfway in, in Manila at that point in the Philippines. So it was a mm-hmm. it was a big change. Uh, I mean, did you? Was that obviously? I'm sure it must have played some part. But was was it just kind of time for you to to move to UA? Was it was it just the right opportunity? Like what what kind of what kind of made you decide to make that that move and, and jump over to to Universal Audio? Uh, it's a, a couple of reasons, and obviously, you know, I hope you guys can appreciate that I can't <laughs> I can't sort of, of course di- 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 yeah, yeah, I, every I'm, every single every single. I'm let's, not trying to muckrake at all. No, no, that, please don't. I, don't let's, think let, that. let's let's you know. For being politically correct, let's say that the vision that that Music Tribe and, and Behringer uh, in general have for the customer types that they want to target mainly um, mm-hmm. and the way that they want to do it didn't sort of match exactly with how I thought that TC was sort of, you know, what the TC brand should be. Sure, um, yeah. So and it makes sense. It would make sense that you would have very strong opinions about that. I, sort of you know, thing, definitely, definitely had, for it. So, and that's totally fair. I mean, you know, Uli Berenger bought bought TC Group with all the companies, so he's in his has every right to do whatever he sees absolutely fit with with the company. Um, my only right is to decide whether I want to work there anymore or not. Right, of course. Um, and with that said, so there's, I have to say that was a big part of the decision. I. Absolutely mm-hmm. loved working at CC during what I sort of consider the golden years. I have a bunch of friends still, you know, that I still hang out with. Um, you guys should check that out. Uh, very good friend of mine who managed the uh, the base, uh, uh, our base products, our base amps. Oh, man. Um, Morton started a really cool base dealership right next door from where I live called Base Buddha. And we hang out with a couple of the marketing guys. They come down there pretty much every day. It's it, it's a blast to still hang around with those guys. I can't um, wait until Dave starts sending me all these bass boot. Well, I, I, I did. I didn't want to like detract too much, but I did want to just say like the uh, the digital the the uh, the TC like digital bass amps that they created. I have guys who are 
vintage gearheads for years and they swear by those things. And they're like, you know, a tiny little, they're all digital, right? Like they're, yeah, uh, they are. yeah. And they sound fantastic. So I just wanted to shout those out while we had you on, man. Cause that's a, uh, it's a great product. Thanks. And you know, again, that's all, that's all my, my, my buddy Morton's, uh, yeah. Morton's tell him work. I said, tell him I said nice work. If I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And if, <laughs> if, 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 if you have a bit of time, make sure to check out base Buddha. He, it's like a high end dealership. They have he okay, has amazing cool. bases. It's, it's really cool. But in any case, so we still hang out, but at the yeah. same time, it was also, I mean, I've, I've been with TC for 16 years. So yeah. I, even before the, you know, even before, TC got acquired. I was sort of starting to think whether, you know, at some point, maybe I should try to see if I could do something else. Because the problem is that you also, you know, if I lived in in California or something like that, there would be a ton of different options for me to work in, of course, you know, right. in the music industry because there's so many companies based around right. that area. But you know, in Denmark, there is even though we're actually sort of a there's a little bit of a, a pedal sort of little enclave here. So TC Electronics. There's a T-Rex as well, T-Rex right? is around 45 minutes drive south of here. If you drive half an hour north, Carl uh, Martin, if you know that company. Oh, yeah. I've actually been talking to them. They're going to be on the show at some point in the future oh, as well. Oh, cool. Say hi from yeah, me. Yeah. They're great guys. So they're not too far from here. I uh, think uh, Soren, Soren's the yeah. CEO, right? Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Um, there's a small company called Emma. They do a really cool... Oh, yeah. Okay, the so they're bobulator, yeah. Yeah, so they the guy who 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 makes those pedals actually has his his other job is he has a guitar store right in the middle of the city. Uh, oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Um so he does that on the side or the pedals on the side. I don't know what, you know, what he considers the most right, important sure. thing, but he does <laughs> yeah. both things actually. Um and um more esoterically, uh, there's also the guy who builds like really expensive like um, custom rigs, sort of Bradshaw-style rigs called Skudstrup or Skrydstrup. They recently changed the brand name to Caveman Audio, but he's like the okay. guy who builds rigs for Steve Morse and uh, uh, The right. Edge from U2, all these guys. So they're all, you know, pretty close by. So we there is a little bit of a guitar and, and music uh, community here. But in general, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you, if you do what I do, which is, you know, come up with products... Um, it sort of requires, unless you, you know, it requires a company of a certain size because typically if you have like a, a five-man or a two-man or a one-man company, it's like, you know, you do everything. You come up with the with stuff and of then course. you make it. And I'm, I, right. I couldn't engineer anything to save my life. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm absolutely helpless and I require people that are way more clever than me to sort of actually realize the, you know, the ideas that I come up with. And those companies are not in, in Denmark. So when I started thinking about potentially moving on i wanted to make sure that it was the you know the right move and that i didn't just change to something just because i thought that i had to get out uh, so i spent quite a bit right. of time sort of doing that and i basically made a list of companies that i thought would be first of all immensely cool to work for because mm -hmm. i respected their products because i felt like you know they had great marketing and great products and you know just an overall quality vibe and the top of that list was actually universal audio um so at some point i i got you know contacted by uh by somebody who works there asking if i mm -hmm. would potentially be interested in this and i just i jumped at the opportunity to do that 
Yeah. Do you want to see my list? Because you guys are at the top. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I can say, you know, having having friends beyond yourself uh, within the company, uh, from the top all the way on down, they're just amazing, amazing people in those buildings. So, uh, it, you know, do you, absolutely, I, I can. See, you've definitely wound up in an incredible company to be in for sure. Oh yeah, Ab- absolutely. I, I couldn't be more happy about it. And the the interesting thing was that. You know, I think even though a lot of, you know, as a guitar player and somebody who, you know, makes guitar products, I was sort of thinking of UA before I I went over there the first time as, you know, it's a recording company and the people who are there are probably more into recording and they get there and it's like, I've never seen this many guitars in my entire life. (laughs) It's, you know... Everybody. Well, it's, it's everybody interesting when you guitar. think about it. I mean, before these pedals that we're definitely going to talk about next, but oh, yeah. really the the main guitar product was the Ox, and that is still kind of really a recording product when yeah. it comes down to it. Yeah. So, all right, let, let's let's talk about these pedals because I, you know, I can't wait. I, we've been we've been we've been trying to get you on for a little while here. We had a little little delaying doing that, but these pedals came out what like a month or less than less than two months ago. Um, so there's the Golden Reverberator, the Starlight, there's the Astra. So tell us a little bit about just kind of like where you were coming from when you were deciding to to come up with these pedals. Where what what was sort of the impetus for design for you that you were thinking? All right, these are the products that we're going to make. You know, I th- I think to begin with the as I said before, the idea was. T- basically to make the the absolute best sounding vintage style emulations that you could possibly do and i think that one of the things that i set out on from the get-go was that i find that a lot of these the pedals out there that that sort of emulate vintage effects they have this tendency to to be more generic in the sense that they are you know emulating a like a tape style delay or a, mm, right. a you know some sort of platonic idea of our spring reverb would be and what we sure. really wanted to do uh, was utilize these amazing resources that we have in ua both in terms of you know actually developing these algorithms and that is you know that's a massive task and it's it, it's incredibly hard to do probably and at the same Were time those algorithms are those are those developed in-house is that like soft tube like how, how are those, yeah, how do those all come, come all, all developed in-house by you know okay. by you know incredibly 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 talented um uh, uh software engineers that you know our our head of of that department is a professor at berkeley teaching uh you know software emulation of, of vintage uh, audio circuits so you know it's it's the cream of the crop Right. And I was going to say, too, I mean, when you think about these these things that you're emulating or however you want to describe it, it's not like these are just like easy analog circuits. You're talking about tube spring. You're talking about tape. And right. then you're talking about this like buck, these bucket brigade chips that they're not easy to emulate. So it's like not only did you decide to, to make these sort of like digital emulation of analog things, you, you chose very difficult, specific things. Yeah. And, and I think there's, I'd like to underline what you said about specific, because that's one of the, the things that, that I really wanted to achieve here was that we didn't want to emulate just sort of a generic spring. We wanted to emulate a specific spring and mm-hmm. not just a specific spring from sort of a range of, of, of amplifiers in this case if we're talking spring but no we actually wanted to cherry pick the very best everybody we talked about that before with with vintage guitars right it's like you get some that are great and you get some that are not as great right Um, we took we spent 
immense amount of time going through tons of tape echoes, literally having, I think we had around 50, uh, oh, 50 to 60, 60 spring tanks that we auditioned. That's awesome. That must have been some fun wow. research and development. It, it was sure some fun research. That. And that's, that was the other, and I think that's the other thing to keep in mind uh, or sort of that, that I really wanted to utilize when doing these pedals is that, you know, we, on, as a product, product manager, I'm incredibly lucky in the sense that not only do we have this ridiculously talented group of engineers, but we also have some guys, one guy in particular, James, who you should totally get on your podcast at some time, at some point. Is that James uh, Santiago? Uh, Santiago, yep. yeah. Yes. I have met him in the past, but I, I wouldn't say that I know the man, but he seems like he knows everything. He knows know everything, and he has totally golden ears, and he has all this gear, and, you know, so there's two parts to making a an, an algorithm that really, truly captures the, you know, not only the essence, but every single little quirk and ward and, mm-hmm. and, and nuance of a vintage piece of gear. One is having the guys who can actually just, you know, basically create those algorithms. But the other part of that is having somebody who can go in and know everything about how that circuit is designed, what to look for why this is better than that and you know all these little right. additional details and i have I, i'll be totally honest i thought i was pretty good at that when i came to tease uh, sorry to ua i f- found out i you know i'm sort of i'm i'm rookie level when it comes to that <laughs> and there are you know james and there's there's a couple of other guys but james in particular he's he's a superhero when it when it comes mm-hmm. to that stuff and you know so being able to have somebody who knows not only knows vintage gear, but actually owns all the equipment and really having, sure. you know, spent the time to to go down a rabbit hole so deep that you wouldn't believe it to really figure out what works and what doesn't work, what to look for, and being able to communicate that to the to the to the algo engineers is is a unique opportunity and that made for you know the the quality of the pedals that you know as you can probably tell i'm i'm insanely proud of these products um right and, and um so so that was really that was really the goal to begin with it's just well and know, and just to say also you know you you can t- it's I'm no engineer, but I do know that you can take any, you know, you could get the literal schematic for whatever piece of gear you want sure. and then and then take that directly, put into code, and it is not going to sound like nope. the original thing. Did. No, that's just exactly. how it goes. So then, so that's when someone like you, you know, you can't, in other words, you can't just rely on a, on a developer to create something like this. To you need you, you need James, you need the people who have the ears and the experience to then, then translate, okay, well, what is different? Why isn't it working exactly as it should, quote unquote, based on the schematic? Exactly. And then the other part of it is and that's you know that's why I that's why I put UA in the top of this list of companies I wanted to go to because I sort of I knew that they had the algo shops I knew that you know I knew James I've known James for for you know for 10 uh, 12 years something like that and I knew that he had that knowledge um, and then at the same time UA is an interesting company because not only do they have you know all those you know software and algo um, expertise but you know we do amazing hardware as well. We do, you know, oh, yeah. you know, the most popular high-end audio interfaces in the world. So, you know, having that combination of being able to make state-of-the-art hardware and, you know, put software in there and at the same time also not be afraid to actually say, yeah, we're going to make a pedal and it's not going to be your, you know, it's not going to be Behringer priced. It's not right. even going to be TC priced. It's going to be, you know, we're, we're, we're making the pedal that we think 
is perfect for what we want to achieve and then that sort of dictates how the how the the, the price of the of the pedal sort of comes sure. out to well and speaking to the price i mean yeah 399 it's it's not behringer but i also i definitely thought it was going to be seems affordable i thought yeah. i thought it was going to be more expensive i agree than yeah. than than, it, than when it, and they're all they're all available currently or, or is it still available they're to they're, come? they're actually on pre-order but we are pre-order. expecting them to be available on april 1st not a joke actually truly on, <laughs> <laughs> on april yeah. 1st good good we'll release have to, we'll have to double check that one <laughs> Uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you that I wasn't really sure about, and th- because I think one of the ways I might use it are the so they're stereo pedals, right? But yeah. are they is it are they is independent mono paths? So like, could you run left to left and right to right independently? Uh, come again. Are they indep- Is it possible to run independent mono signals, or is it only like is there going to be stereo crossover? Do you, do you know what I'm no, saying? Can, so no, like you could run. No, they are true. Uh, we call it dual mono. I don't know if that's like mm-hmm. an official term, but yeah, you can run okay. a you can run a stereo signal. You can, if you wanted to, you could run like a, a bass and a guitar into the two inputs right. and get those out, which is such a cool feature. Oh, yeah. And and I and I think that that's that's a unique thing that I haven't really noticed noticed before. And then there's also this this sort of like live and, and preset mode um, that I was hoping maybe you could kind of just like explain to me a little bit how you how you approach that. Um, yeah, totally. For if, on their if, if real quickly, one one little short addition to this whole stereo thing. Yeah. So what we're actually doing in the background is that we're literally having two instances of the algorithms running on the pedal, which right. which is the equivalent of if you you know if you wanted to have an echoplex and play in stereo, you would have to buy two echoplexes. So that is exactly. literally. That is literally what that, which get. is crazy. Yeah, that's and and so yeah, you, you're 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 creating. Uh, yeah, so these are. I guess the point is that these are sort of vintage inspired effects, but you're you're getting capabilities with them that far surpass anything you would get with quote unquote real hardware. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I totally forgot. Oh yeah, sorry. No, it's all good. I was oh, I was yeah. curious. I didn't really understand the the live the live preset. Oh mode, yeah. How that so, how that works. So this came from basically from me being a little bit of a simpleton. So I, I really like simple pedals, and I like pedals where you can quickly look down and um, and you know see where the knobs are, and that's the yeah. sound you get. And if you tweak a knob, that's the sound you get. And I've owned pedals in the past where they were more preset based, totally. Especially pedals where it's all presets, and I really dislike the idea that I can never sort of fully trust the knobs. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, at, at, on one hand, I wanted to make sure that, you know, the pedals had this sort of classic, you know, it, it sounds really digital and, and everything. When you say what you see is what you get, I just sort of think it like a classic pedal. You know, you have a mode where it's just like you turn the pedal on and wherever the knobs are, that's the sound you get. And we call that live. Exactly. Sure. We call that live okay. mode. All right. All right. That makes sense. So it's literally when you're in live mode, which is turning on and off the the left foot switch on either of the pedals. That's, you know, wherever the knobs are, that's the sound you get and that's the sound you hear. But at the same time, you know, we were also aware of the fact that, you know, there are, you know, there are free amazing algorithms, four or even five if you register the pedals because you you Mm -hmm. get a couple of extra effects if you do that. But there is an awful lot of extra sounds in, in these pedals and some cool ones. Are you, are you approaching it as a platform like that where there might be, further things that you could add or subtract in the future? Um, I think, you know, I always have a little bit of a rough time speaking about what could potentially come in the future. So I, you know, yeah. certainly that is 
that is that would be possible, but um, but it's not something we have on the cards right now. And I, you know, I'm not strong, the plan. Sure, I, not the plan. I would strongly urge people who are interested in these pedals buy them for what they are now. Um, don't right. buy them for what they could potentially be in the future. Um, yeah. And 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 don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that they need to be anything. No, more no, in it's the future. right. I just, I, when, I, when any kind of platform like that comes out, you always have to wonder a little bit. Of course, and that's totally valid. It's just you know I. I've seen it happen so many times that somebody buys a product because they think that it's going to be, you know, something other than what it is. And, you know, they, yeah. Well, we were just talking about the wonders of these pedals. And I'm also, I've got to be honest, I'm just sitting here looking right now and like, I could, I could be asking you probably another three hours worth of questions. And I realize that we're (laughs) way over time here. So let's, um, shit, you know, I realize that we haven't at all talked about, or very, very briefly talked about World War Five, And I want to at least make sure that we have some time for that. So I've, I've listened to the record. It fucking rips, dude. It's very, if, if any, if anybody is into the sort of like, modern thrash kind of thing with gnarly riffs and big old choruses i mean i could name some bands that i feel like i i hear as influences but that we don't need to, we don't need to worry <laughs> about all that. Um, i will say though there's one and i wanted to ask you about this just real quickly there's one song i believe it's called haunt and yeah. there's this little part and i feel like i hear just like a little nod to the bleed riff from mashuga is that am i making that up am i just like no no you're, 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 you're totally right about that it's, uh, <laughs> i think uh especially me but also the other guitar player in the band are, are big Meshuga fans um, yeah we actually played a few gigs with them in another band where we did some warm-up gigs for them way back in like that's badass right shit. right when uh none came out the ep which is still my favorite uh-huh. Meshuga album um but yeah so there, there's there's definitely a little nod to to the Meshuga guys and I just saw I today that uh, yeah. that Frederick is is rejoining the band again. For the no kidding, I didn't see on. that. So, um, oh wow, I'm 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 psyched about that. Yeah, me too. And I'll say if anyone's looking, I mean, of course, I already mentioned that that track haunt. I think it's badass. But also, I will call out the song Megalomaniacs because um, it. I'm not like. It, my last show before lockdown was a metal show, so I just I've just been like really <laughs> desperately missing that kind of yeah. thing. And that song came on, and I it like got me up out of my chair. I was trying to open up a circle pit in my living room with my cat. I was <laughs> yeah, just like dude. I was fucking I was ready to go. So cool. as soon as World War Five, you guys make your way over here to the states, or maybe I come come visit because my best buddy lives in Sweden. I'm definitely gonna have to have to see you guys, and I will be the the person opening up the pit for that song for sure. Awesome, awesome. I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting too old for 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 joining that i think i'll just i'll probably just break a rip or something like that at this point <laughs> you know i'm 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 right on that on that edge i guess we'll find out because you know once i am able to be in a, a pit safely again i'm gonna try it uh don't oh, yeah. know how it's gonna go. just be I'm, sore for a few extra days yeah that, it'll it'll be worth it especially you know having basically not been to a show in oh yeah, yeah. close to a year to, we i played yeah. a show with world war five i think two days before Denmark shut down and wow. there hasn't been oh no wait a second we actually played a show in November last this November um, they opened up for like a very short period of time and right. we, we yeah. did a, right, right. the first first sit down metal show I've ever I've ever <laughs> oh that's interesting that was that was kind of weird. No, so no circle pit there for sure. Oh my god, that's that's got to be surreal. But I'm sure it's still just like fucking amazing feeling to even turn your amps up. Uh, and that, was, oh, yeah. that was that was a lot of fun. 
That's great. Well, honestly, it's like I said, I mean, we're, we're running real long here and I could keep this going. So I've, I've got to stop somewhere and it seems like now's the time. But Tor, thank you thank so you, man. fucking much, man. This has been an awesome discussion. I know uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulties on our end to, to sort out. So thank you for dealing with all that. Um, you know, obviously people know Universal Audio. Where would you send them on the internet to, to go check out your stuff, to go check out these new pedals? Like what are, what are some places that, that our listeners should go to, to take? take a look so obviously a good place to start would be uaudio.com for mm-hmm. okay. for universal audio uh, everything in there you know right on the front page you'll see links to the pedals and we literally just a few days ago we launched the product pages so there'll be some videos and there's also links to other guys so if you want to see you know here's some more of the pedals from you know from not the ua marketing machine but somebody else i mean andertons um mm-hmm. I know my, my buddies at Chicago Music Exchange. Chicago uh, put Music out put out well. Andy yeah. at Reverb did something. Yep. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of cool videos out there already and, you know, more to come for sure. Um, if anybody want to hear, you know, old school, fresh death metal, they could check out World War Five. We're on pretty much all the, your, you know, typical streaming services. And you can buy CDs yep. and, and vinyl if, if you're into that stuff as well. Damn right. That was so good, Tor. Thank you so much. Thank Honestly, you, it's been an honor having you on. Um, great, great job uh, just talking us through everything and, and, and really appreciate your honesty and candor with all this stuff too. So, yeah. And thanks so much for having me. It, it, it's been a pleasure to to be part of this. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You, you're, you're more than welcome. You're, you're welcome to come back anytime, absolutely. If you've made it this far in the episode, I'm sure you have because right. it's been a good one. Um, you know what? Go make some music. Exactly. <laughs>